I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Coaching carousel, Jim Harbaugh speculation, and the biggest surprises that are going to happen this month. It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined today by Charles Robinson of Yahoo. Really interesting discussion on how the next couple of weeks are going to unfold, what to expect, and then some talk about the NFC playoffs uh, with Charles, Packers, Cowboys, where it goes from here, Steelers, quarterback talk. Really fascinating. Let's get to it. All right, Charles Robinson senior writer for Yahoo. Charles, the last time we saw each other was in Cleveland. We were so yeah. enthralled with the Browns hype. We were talking to Stefanski and Andrew Barry and Baker, and we're thinking, man, this team's going to be pretty good. Didn't happen, Charles. <laughs> Did not happen. Not even close. I should have known when I sat down with Kevin Stefanski and uh, had a, you know, I was real positive, had a good positive feeling about what I had seen. And I, I think the, I asked something about Juice, Jarvis Landry. And he was like, yeah, he can't run anymore. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, what? Oh, like, you can't, it can't be like the thing, you know, he, you know, and, and I laughed and I was clearly stunned. And he was like, no, 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 you know, like, let me reframe that. What I'm saying is, you know, we're getting to the stage where, where people in the offense are going to have to take on um, more responsibility Obviously, he's still, you know, it just felt like I'm just like, okay, there's, I'm already, I have to recalculate uh, what I'm thinking about this team already. I'm surprised, though, that the Baker uh, situation has devolved so quickly and the two camps have kind of formed inside the, the organization. The, hey, it's all injuries camp and the, I don't know, he's doing some stuff that doesn't have anything to do with injuries camp. I'll say this. I think Andrew Barry is a top. 10 GM. Mm-hmm. I, I, we need more of a sample size before I put him in the top five. Sure. I think Kevin Spansky is a really, really, really good coach. And so part of it, and part of the reason we were, I, I, I was enthralled with the Brown side for the season. I picked them to think make the wild card, but I, I, I think that they have the foundation there where they're going to be able to solve this problem. If you were, if you were kind of handicapping all of the teams that are quote unquote going through a problem season, like the Browns are in position to go forward better than anybody because they right. have 
the best coach and GM of anybody. They just got some bad luck this year. The COVID game against the Raiders is crazy. So I'm not, I'm actually still kind of pro Browns coming out of this season, even though it's been a quite a disaster. So it'll be interesting. Um, all right. So I want to go through the coaching carousel with you, Charles, um, and then get into some big picture NFL topics. I want to start with the Bruce Feldman report on Tuesday that Jim Harbaugh might be tempted to go to the NFL. So we hear a lot of BS rumors all the time. You just, somebody texts you, hey, I heard this. And a couple months ago, I had, so, as right after Gruden was fired, someone was like, man, Harbaugh might, might want that job. Right. And I thought part of that was, I thought it was Harbaugh coming off of last year. They made him give some money back. He, you know, there were rumors that he was in the hot seat or whatever. And that, none of that came to fruition. But it seemed to me like it was an exit strategy for Harbaugh at that point. Um, this was October. This was before Michigan revealed themselves to be um, the best Big Ten team. And once Michigan became really good, and I thought, okay, well, there's a reason he went to Michigan. He likes being in Michigan. He liked being settled. He didn't like the chaos of the NFL life. That was something that we, we heard about it when he exited uh, San Francisco. Was basically, this was a family decision. Um, so once that happened, I was like, okay, well, I guess you can rule out the NFL. But Bruce Feldman is as sourced up as anybody. He's not going to put this out there unless it's sure. Uh, unless there's significant interest on both sides. Um, you thought what when you heard that report? Charles? I believe it 100. percent I, I, it does not. It doesn't surprise me. And the one thing I will say about Harbaugh, um, even detractors, uh, Jim, Jim Harbaugh detractors, people say, hey, he wears out the carpet in the building. Like you know, uh, there's a turnstile in terms of you know people who can handle the Jim Harbaugh experience. It's only a few years before you get burned out. Whatever. Those same people will tell you he's he's a great coach. He's a very much an NFL geared type of coach. Like he's um, even though he comes off as odd um, to the media, he is a good leader in that locker room. And and someone said to me, he and John Harbaugh are actually really close. It's just John knows how to put on the public facing mask. He's like Jim doesn't. <laughs> he, he said, but hey man, behind closed doors, they're the same guy. He's like John's a maniac too, and and he's a, he just presents better um, publicly. And uh, I think probably the most recent conversation I had had prior to what Bruce Feldman reported about Jim, um, I was talking to someone who used to be on the 49ers staff a while back. Uh, we were talking about Trent Baalke and just sort of how sure. everything unraveled. Between. Oh, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Jags fans, we will get to that. <laughs> so, you know, Jim comes up and he actually said to me, he said, look, I, I think his, the end game from eventually, by the, you know, when his career is all done, he will make a reappearance in the NFL. And I asked why, and I, and I took this, that he was talking directly to Jim about it. And he sort of suggested that there was a lot more, um, heavy lifting in college than Jim might've expected in terms of right. a lot of staff turnover. It's like, he's constantly replacing, you know, different coaches who are coming and going coordinators, offensive, defensive, um, then the recruiting on top of it, then the transfer portal opened. And he told me, he thinks the transfer portal is one of those things that, for coaches with NFL experience who were in college, they were like, wait a minute, this is a huge disruption along with NIL that we did not expect to have to deal with five years ago when we started doing this, you know, or 10 years ago when, when, you know, we started entertain going back to college and it's sort of like, okay, we've taken a job and added 40% more effort to it, 40% more yeah. management to it. And, and some of these NFL coaches are, you know, who have, some of these coaches who have NFL experience, whether it's at the assistant rank or coordinators or whatever, are kind of like, I'd rather just go back to NFL, make more money, you know, coaching a position group and and get back onto that circuit. 
Yeah. I mean, the college thing is interesting because it's, there's two fronts now. You have to do the NIL thing, um, but then you also have the transfer portal. And I think that the NFL folks, I, I think Mel, Mel Tucker is probably um, the guidepost here if you're looking to be an NFL, if you're a coordinator right now and you want to go to the NFL level, sure. uh, excuse me, go to the college level. It's you take a, a DC job or an OC job somewhere, you get a head job, you can use the transfer portal, use your evaluation skills, get coach these guys up and get a big contract. That was the thing that I had heard a couple months ago when people were saying, well, you know, maybe now that the, the new thing is mega contracts in college, maybe some of these C-list NFL candidates who are not really going to get a look for a serious job. Maybe they try to go to the college ranks to try to go to the Saban School of Rehabilitation that all those guys are in. So it'll be interesting to see the kind of push and pull over the next five years on on whether or not NFL guys want to go to college, whether or not college guys want to go to the NFL, um, and just what what the future of that is. Um, speaking of, uh, the report came out this week that maybe Bill O'Brien is a candidate in Jacksonville. And that is a... That is downriver from the other report, which is that Trent Baalke appears to be staying in Jacksonville. There's been a fan revolt. I don't know where this stands. I don't know where it's going to stand. Um, but I was shocked when I saw that, 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 that Baalke is going to be retained. Um, there were people in San Francisco, writers, who said, as soon as the Urban Meyer thing dropped long before he was fired, they said, watch, Baalke's going to survive all of this. That turned out to be true. <laughs> yep. Um, where does this stand right now in Jacksonville? We'll start with the, with the Baalke part of it. I think that Balky is, um, it's the Jed York experience again. I think, I think, I hate to put it in these terms, but there are some general managers who are very representative and have wide open ears for the owners when it comes to the coaching staff, what's going on inside the team. There are some, some general managers who want to be a little more walled off from ownership, want to be like, hey, delegate it to me. Let me do my job yeah. and, and kind of leave me alone. From what I understand, you know, Trent's not not that guy. Like, he's open to the owner being like, hey, I need to know why this was done, why that was done, what coach isn't cutting it. Um, you know, not, not, I don't want to say he's a, he's bugging the room, <laughs> but he's kind of bugging the room. And so I think for him to go in with the whole Marone thing, unraveling, stick around, you know, with Urban, and then the Urban thing to unravel and him once again survive and now be a part mm -hmm. of the process going forward, it's suggestive of what people thought about the worst nature of the situation, that Trent is kind of repeating some of the things that were going on with Jed York and Jim Harbaugh back in, in uh, you know, in San Francisco. And by the way, Chip Kelly and Jim Tomsula, all of that mess yep. it just feels very familiar. So... I think the, the one thing I'll say about the Jacksonville job is when you talk to candidates, okay, out there, very few who have options want to even entertain what's going on in Jacksonville, partially because of ownership, very much so because of Trent Baalke. And now I think there's even sort of an element of like Trevor Lawrence where it's like, man, okay, we've gotten a little bit of a look at him. And there is some, there are some things we are seeing with Trevor Lawrence on this level that are a little more concerning than, than, um, maybe we realized it's, I, I thought it was a great job. And even when urban left, I was like, this is going to be a huge job, but I think Trent bulky staying around and then continuing to sort of see the runway on Trevor Lawrence. And then also with what's going on with ownership, it feels, it feels a little more like a sinkhole again than it used to. And now, as you said, the fans are all showing up in clown, <laughs> clown outfits to, to revolt against this operation. Not great. If you're, if you're, if you're a high level candidate, a lot of options, probably not a place you want to be. Hmm. 
Um, let's go on the the Lawrence thread here for a second. How much skepticism is there around the league? And you know, even just looking at those rookie mm-hmm. quarterbacks right now, a lot of issues I think in a lot of different places. And I think some people are pinning that on on coaching in some situations. Some of them are saying, okay, this guy just can't play. Um, not Lawrence. No one's saying. No one. No one's making those sort of declarations about Lawrence. Um, but where? What is the level of skepticism within the league about Lawrence? So I literally just had a conversation a couple of days ago with. Um, High-level executive in the AFC. They've faced Lawrence a couple of times this season, so obviously inside the division. Um, and I said, you know, what's going on there? And he told me, he said, look, when you look at him, um, he's he's holding the ball too long. It's like he's slow on everything. Um, particularly when you get in the red zone, you start to look at the film. He he's just he's just taking a beat too long. He said he feels like he's seeing some things that were similar with Darnold in um, in New York in that. There are times where Trevor Lawrence is moving around or, or taking off or doing certain things he doesn't have to do. Just have trust. Like, you know, but he, he also said, look, he's, he's under fire. He's constantly dodging bullets with the offensive line. Line's not great. It's, he's like, so it's, it's hard to make a, a straight up evaluation. He said, but clearly, um, he, you know, he's like, you see bad habits there mechanically, decision making wise that he wasn't making before because he was surrounded by so much talent. There was so much success. Everything was always kind of, you know, moving in his favor at Clemson. And you can't understand maybe some of the negative growth that's going to occur once the adversity hits and all the guys around him are failing him. Um, is he going to be able to either raise the level of play? Is he going to be able to overcome yeah. that? He has. And, you know, so he, this guy just basically said, look, there's, I, he, he didn't want to compare him to Darnold, you know, as a, as a one for one, but he said, you, you know, you start to see some similar things where a guy's not trusting himself and, mm. and he's, and it always looks like he's expecting the worst thing to happen in any given snap. And you don't know how that's going to have, you know, what kind of long-term ramifications that's going to have. It clearly did with Darnold. It has Darnold, you know, has, I think he's unraveled a bit, obviously on the NFL level, more so than what people thought he would. Th- that to me, if I'm running Jacksonville right now, that to me is the scariest thing yeah. because we've seen this so many times and let's take the, what we've seen out of Lawrence just, just in general, let's just even put that aside. Let's call this year a wash. Sure. But we've seen what happens when an organization fails a young quarterback and it's real bad. And if I'm a, to have a, the top overall pick and they'll probably have high picks next couple of years. Um, you should not be worried about anything other than developing that guy. And you should go out and try to get Josh McDaniels, some quarterback guru, and right. say, hey, man, who do you want the GM to be? How do we solve this? I don't think I, – I just it, – it, it starts to upset me a little bit when you get one of the uh, most important resources in the sport, which is a young quarterback on a rookie contract who's played at a really high level in college, and you don't do everything to maximize him. And doubly so if you start to see these worrying signs that you're talking about um, where there's flashes, but but – the, the, there's some struggles. I mean, it just, it makes me upset. We, you know, I, I, you don't want to say that Lawrence is on a bad path after one year, but when you combine what you just said with the way that Jacksonville is acting around him and I'm starting to get real, real, real worried. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like it. Um, speaking of, of rookie quarterbacks, uh, compare that to the evaluation around the league of Justin Fields and where the bears go from here. Um, 
It's interesting with Fields because I I feel like the camps, um, the love him or hate him kind of camps that existed when he went into the draft are still there. It's still the same people who are like, um, you know, does a lot of great things athletically. Um, but again, people question uh, like arm wise, are you taking a quarterback that's going to be, you know, running, exposing himself a lot, or is he going to develop into, you know, a, a guy who that augments it where it's only part of his game, sort of like, uh, like Kyler Murray, for example. I think yeah. it was like, hey, look, Kyler has shown he he can be a guy who doesn't have to constantly run around to do things, but that definitely is a big part of his game that that you know has sort of developed well under Cliff. It was there obviously before, but it has adapted well to the NFL level. So it's like, is he going to be a Kyler type where? it's a, a really good part of his game or is it going to be um, let's say like Lamar Jackson. Now, obviously a lot of people will take Lamar Jackson in any, in any given moment, but the reality is a lot of Lamar's game is moving around, evading, doing things that are really special, but also things that are really dangerous. And, and you start to weigh all the availability. I just think the biggest thing is like you said with Jacksonville, this is your asset in Chicago. So whoever you bring in um, it, it's, and this is, we're not, you know, this is basically a constitutional amendment that's existed since the foundation of the NFL pair, whoever you have coming in with that guy and grow him. And like over the last probably 10 days, when I've started to shape up head coaching lists, it's, uh, it's so heavily tilted toward offense. Now I think teams just sort of think that way anyway. Um, I, I like, okay, I'm sitting here looking right now at the list of all the names that that have come up in conversations the last 10 days. And there's one, two, three, four, give it, five, give it to six, us. Seven, give it to eight, us. Eight, nine, ten, eleven offensive names, six defensive. Okay. And and um one the one thing though that I think is interesting, and and it even plays with the Bears, you're seeing, and I think this is partially because of of the Mike McCarthy experience. I think it's partially because of some of what Ron Rivera has brought to an absolutely abysmal Washington situation. Um, You are hearing more retread names for lack of a better term. I'm hearing a lot more veteran coaches who had NFL experience names and aren't just Jim Harbaugh. Okay. So you have um, Doug Peterson. We've heard, okay. Josh McDaniels. I know people forget that he was a head coach, but I, I do think some people put the Denver experience in a win column for him because it went so badly. He does have something to, to look back on and reflect on the mistakes. Um, Jim Caldwell's one that we're hearing a lot. Yeah. Defensively, you know, Dan Quinn, Todd Bowles. Um, but the reason, the reason why I think these are actually serious candidates um, is, is because you have some owners who are starting to look at what Dallas did with Mike McCarthy and how badly it looked like that was going to start last year um they made the right change with a defensive coordinator yep. been healthier and P- and i think you have some owners who are going hmm you know no mike actually there was a reason why mike won a super bowl there was a reason why you know he had a very successful um career in green bay for a long time maybe we we should start to look back at some of these people who we know have proven it at least at some point um from a head coaching standpoint um, on the NFL level. I, I would tell people don't discount. You said Bill O'Brien. That's another one. Um, yep. So I, I think, I don't want to say we're getting out of the hot assistant era. The, the did you talk to Sean McVay at any point in your entire life era? Um, <laughs> we're, we're not completely out of that, but. Well, I, strangely, I, it, 
strangely, that era kind of worked. It did. Like, I think it's definitely I, worked. <laughs> I, I, I know it's, it's, you know, there's, there's kind of room for interpretation on how good some of these guys are, but Zach Taylor is going to yeah. be in the playoffs this year. They just won the division. Cliff Kingsbury is, is going to be in the playoffs. Like that, that Here, I, I would guess that part of that's just the, the offense and, and part of that is, you know, dynamic young coaches can work now. Oh, they also have quarterbacks. I mean, <laughs> right. like it's, it, it sure helps. Like Zach Taylor having Joe Burrow has sure really helped him. <laughs> you know, I mean, like having a really good quarterback. Yeah. I, so it's, you know, it's, uh, I, I think people don't have to read too deeply into it. You have to have the right quarterback. It can't just be um, the, the genius. I mean, look, Sean was the genius, but remember, we went through the Jared Goff experience where, you know, he got everything he could out of Goff, but then you had to disrupt the entire franchise um, to try and swap that piece out. And it, same with uh, Kyle, you know, Shanahan. It's like, oh, he's, yeah. he's this guru. He's done all these things with these different quarterbacks. But as soon as he was kind of out on Jimmy and Jimmy was having injuries, you know, it's never quite reached that level. So uh, it's not all about coaches. All these coaches we love that have success, a lot of it has to do, obviously, with the quarterback. Is there a name that makes sense in your mind for Chicago? Um, you know, I think um, Nathaniel Hackett in Green Bay mm. is is sort of an under-the-radar name that um, he has a ton of experience. He's not nearly as old. I think oh, he's been around long enough that, I, you know, some people are like, you know, oh, he's 42. He's 42 years old, but he has a ton. I mean, this guy was getting experience at a coordinator level in his mid thirties. Um, the thing that I think is intriguing about him um, is Aaron Rodgers really, really, really likes him. like his, yeah. he believes in him, a big believer in Nathaniel Hackett and Rodgers is, um, he's a, <laughs> you know how it is. I mean, he's not the easiest, you know, uh, a player to, you know, manage or listen to. I mean, he brings a lot to the table. He has a lot of expectations. He does augment the offense and it has been a two way street though with Nathaniel Hackett. And uh, I think the consistency that he's brought there, the, his ability to work with Aaron, um, the fact that Aaron buys into him is a, is a pretty big deal um, for Nathaniel Hackett. And so he is a name that maybe I did not expect when you start making these calls, who starts to come up a little more, more consistently helps that Rogers played an MVP level two straight years. Um, but I, I think quietly he's, he's maybe that name that, that, you know, isn't going to be just the typical um, Brian Dayball every year, you know, um, right. You know, we, we've got a cast of, you know, Eric B every year gets talked about. He's, yep. he's sort of the new guy to the party. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Yeah, I mean, Hackett, I talked to him when he was in Jacksonville and he was, I think it was when he was the quarterback's coach for, for Blake Bortles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he may have been the coordinator at that point. And listen, that is a thankless job. <laughs> being being quarterback's coach and then OC for Blake Bortles. Um, so I he did the best he could. Then he was gifted Aaron Rodgers and he's done as well as he possibly could. So I, I think that's an interesting name. Um, obviously, he's got the pedigree. Uh, there was some talk this week about nepotism in the NFL. He said he's, he is the son of Paul Hackett. Um, but, I, but I also think that he is, uh, just in my interactions with him, he's far more impressive than a lot of the, the candidates that have been thrown out as sort of, hey, this guy's a hot up-and-coming assistant. Right. Um, I, I really do think he has the personality for it. Um, he understands the game, so I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Um, is there a surprise opening you think that's on the table? Hmm. Um... That's a really good question. Let me let me look at my list again. See if there's anybody on there. Look at you throwing me the curveball that I should have been prepared for because hey, we're gonna talk about coaching openings. <laughs> um obviously we're it doesn't not- have to be a coach, by the way. Could be a GM, could be anything. Anything that needs to be on our radar. Nah, I I guess I, I guess it depends on what, you know, what do you really consider uh, to to be a surprise, um, right? You know, if Denver opens, is that really a surprise? I mean, uh, no. I mean, it's almost an maybe, afterthought. Okay. I, was, I was actually I was texting with someone yesterday about the Denver, just Denver, what's going on with them, and and they were like, oh yeah, I think they're probably gonna make a change. I'm like, no one's even talked about Vic Fangio in like two months. We've talked about Matt Nagy every single day for the right. last three months, and no one's even mentioned that Vic Fangio is on his way to getting fired. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. What were you gonna say? Um, you know, if, here, here's the thing. It's prob- Maybe it's not a surprise to other people. It's a little bit of a surprise to me that Matt Rule in Carolina is really, after yeah. two years, um, and clearly the quarterback situation not being resolved. Here's the thing about Carolina. It is a really, it is a good job from a talent standpoint. There's a ton of talent on that team. It is. I mean, they were very much mm-hmm. loaded. Um, I think it, it's a, it, it is a... I, Matt, I know Matt and ownership, they've discussed, they've talked, and I think Matt has gotten the confidence and ownership that you are definitely coming back for year three. I don't know that everybody in the building believes that, okay? And um, I think because David Tepper is, has definitely revealed himself as someone who's very involved, very aggressive, yeah. um, constantly going to push this. So I think, to me, it would be a surprise that if Matt, you know, Matt gets lopped off after two years and a seven-year deal. Um, particularly when I do think that is one of the few teams where if you just make the right change at quarterback, which isn't going to be easy because you already kicked in the fifth-year option money for Sam Darnold, but if you make the right decision or you are the winner 
of this offseason's quarterback derby, even though there might not be a lot of options. That is a team that I think could swing on a dime um, or turn on a dime pretty quickly. It's just, I don't know how financially they could go get a Deshaun Watson and pay that money and somehow offload Darnold or eat the Darnold salary or whatever, or Russell Wilson or whoever else um, they want to pursue. I just think having a good, even a, if you had a top 12, 13, 14 quarterback there with some consistency, I think that that's a team that is probably a playoff team next year. What's the vibe around the league on Tepper as an owner? Because it's interesting to me, in reading Seth Wickersham's Patriots book, there was a, a really interesting part there where Jimmy Johnson had told him years ago that if, if you just get out of the way, 20 of 30 NFL teams are, are, are going to screw it up, right? So just don't even do anything and they'll eliminate themselves. Right. And I thought about that in the context of ownership because I've someone told me this when I first started the, covering the NFL. I've never forgotten it, that there's really only five or six teams in a given year who are actually trying to win, who are going and spending and, and maximizing it. And that changes. You know, if, if you have a, a, a young quarterback who, who got hot, you know, your timetable accelerates. It's not the same teams every year, but there's really only a handful of teams. And then it's funny because Kyle Shanahan was on Flying Coach over the summer, and he said that he learned that the number is probably even less. It's even less than, than you know, it might be four or five, whatever it is. I forget the exact number he threw out there. Um, but when I think of ownership, I think there's there's really three categories. There's the owners who know how to win and and commit the resources to winning. There's the ownership where they're not really that interested in winning. I mean, in some cases, there are some owners who they'd like a Super Bowl, but they're not going to go out of their way to win a Super Bowl. They're good taking the checks. They're good being stewards and not embarrassing themselves, but they're not going to go crazy trying to win a Super Bowl. There's some fan bases. They're not going to want to hear that, but it's true. Okay. And then there's a third category, which is small. And it's normally owners in their first decade where they want to commit the resources. They understand how to do it, but they don't know what winning looks like. And I kind of feel like that might be the category that Tepper's in right now, yeah. where he know he wants to be patient. He wants to give a coach or a GM all of the resources they need. He just doesn't know what the foundation should look like. Am I wrong on that? No, I think that's an absolutely great assessment. And, and I think what I might have overvalued um, when he ended up becoming an owner of the Panthers was I was like, okay, well, he's had, you know, he was part of a Pittsburgh operation, but I, he was never under the hood, like in Pittsburgh. Like right. that's what, that's what I discounted was that I think I assumed, um, there's that, a lot of Pittsburgh minority owners. Yeah. There's a lot. And, and, yeah. you know, he's only running like one of the most successful hedge funds in the history of yeah. like wall street. So maybe he's a little busy. He can't, you know, study exactly what's going right. Um, in Pittsburgh on a consistent basis. No, I think he's an extremely aggressive um, first-time owner who wants to dominate. I, and I truly believe this. I think he wants to dominate the job. I think he wants to be the yes. best owner in football. I think he wants to be like Robert Kraft with 20 um, years, or, or he wants to be a Rooney. He wants to have just decades and decades of um, you know, state-of-the-art thinking. Okay. And, and I think what has been his struggle is that, as you said, he doesn't, he has not yet learned what that looks like. And yeah, I, you know, I think the part of the sauce that, that he's figuring out now is mixing the right personalities between general manager and head coach, um, who to pay, who not to pay, who to listen to when they're selling you on a certain yeah. player's talent. Uh, I'll give you an example, like Teddy Bridgewater. I think he felt like he was sold a bill of goods on Teddy Bridgewater. And I think mm. he figured that out really fast. I think he was like, this isn't our guy. This isn't our, this isn't the quarterback yeah. for us. That's going to 
be this overwhelming, you know, leader and carry us to a Super Bowl. And once he was out on that, he was just like out fast. And um, I think he handles a lot of, you know, what he sees. And and patience is a very, um, in some ways, it can be very hurtful for ownership. But but when you're um, being impatient, it can be just as as hurtful as, as being too patient. I, I would say that it swings both ways. You have to find that sort of middle ground and he has not yet done that. I think that's a perfect way that you framed it though. That's exactly who he is. The, he wants to be a Rooney thing is interesting to me because I think that a lot of rich owners get into the league and for someone like David Tepper, or someone like Stephen Ross, they don't walk into a lot of rooms where they're not the most res- respected and richest person. And then they get into these NFL owners meetings and their brain is broken for two reasons. Number one, there's a lot of rich people in the room, and they don't actually really care about money all that much. And I'm going to explain what I mean in a second. And then they are so low on the pecking order. Even if they have $30 billion, $10 billion, $7 billion, it doesn't matter. Right. Because in that room, it's way more about being a steward of the league or, you know, the mayors and the grand scheme of things don't have a ton of money. The Rooney family in the grand scheme of things don't have a ton of money, but it doesn't matter because they've won. They they have power at these leagues, league meetings. And so I think a lot of newer owners or younger people who are involved in the ownership process or the kids of the owners, whatever, they get in there and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa this is not how we thought it was going to go. And there's so many head games when you get in there. And I think that there's a mental adjustment to the whole thing. And it's interesting. I, I heard a story a couple of years ago about an owner calling another owner. Somebody I know was in the room and they were about to make the call. And the owner one, who was the person who was with the person who told me the story, was like, let's just wait five minutes to make the call. Let's be five minutes late. And the person was like, why are you doing that? He's like, because billionaires just never, they never have to wait on anything. They never have to, they never have to think about anything. Everything is delivered to them on a hand. Right. And then for five minutes late, really going to piss him off. So let's wait five minutes. Let's be on my time. (laughs) And it's like, that is that is what you need to know about NFL ownership, right? Um, And so someone like Tepper, there's there's an adjustment on so many fronts to becoming that that kind of owner um, when you have billions of dollars, you've never heard no and then all of a sudden you're trying to build something where um, it is maybe the hardest thing to do in sports, which is a consistent NFL owner. Well, it's like, like it's Logan Roy, right? In succession Right. The president's on line one and he leans back mm-hmm. in his chair and just sits there and he waits and he waits and he waits. And then he decides when he's going to pick it up. You know, as you said, it's, it's very much a control thing for, for some of these um, owners trying to show other individuals, A, I can make deals. B, people will listen to me when I talk in the room. As you said, you have 31 ownership groups where they're used to everybody listening the second they open their mouths and then they all get together collectively. And it turns out most people don't want to listen to each other. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I think that, um, that's also another underrated aspect of, of being an NFL owner is the one thing I think I've learned over 20 years of looking at the league is you can have a ton of money, but can you make deals? Can you broker things? Can you be the person who rallies two or three other owners to come to your cause and, and build a beachhead? You know, and and we always talk about like Jerry Jones and he's the shadow owner. And we talk about what he's done business wise for the NFL. But let's be honest, even though Jerry talks forever in those meetings and people are like, oh, my God, can we just get him to shut up? He can get Robert Kraft and John Mara on the same page. Right. He can. um 
you know, figure out a way to get Stan Kroenke um, into, you know, into LA. And then on when it all goes bad, try to keep Stan um, from getting sued by everybody else for, you know, the legal fees incurred and all these things. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's ownership in, in its, in its own right is a very fascinating, um, part of the NFL. And I think too many people assume, um, that all these owners really do have, you know, uh, they're, they're all top shelf deal makers. They're all top shelf thinkers. They're not, you know, they're just, a lot of them are, are as fallible. I'm, I guarantee you, you could tell me a story where you talk to, to an NFL owner. Okay. And you were like, what? Like, really? Like this guy owns an NFL team. Like this is, this is, this is a billionaire. Like I, I, yeah. I can name one. I mean, I could name, name more than one. You can name more than one. <laughs> yes. It's you will. If you cover the league for long enough, you will start to question all of the basic tenets of capitalism. The fact that these people yes. have made billions of dollars. That's not even a political thing. That's just more like this guy has $20 billion. Huh? You, you feel, okay. you feel worse about yourself. Cause you're like, wait a minute. Like I can, Right. I can be in a room with this person. Like, I don't feel like I'm completely overmatched right. in this situation. It's like, it's like, yeah. The, it's like the old theory about the reason so many people run for president from like, like random congressmen is because they get to the Hill and they realize that like all of the people who, you know, are in leadership positions in the Senate or whatever, like not that bright. And then they're like, oh, I can be president. Getting in a room with an owner you're like, oh, wait, I should be a billionaire. I should be, wait, I can do this. Whatever he's doing, I can do this. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a hedge fund next week now is what I'm saying. I'm going to start a hedge fund. Um, all right. Um, so I, I, the, the Tepper thing to me is one of the most fascinating things. I'm, I, I can't wait to see how that goes. Also, you reminded me, I have to catch up on Succession. I have not yet seen Succession um, past the first couple episodes uh, of the first season. So that's on, that's on the to-do list. Um, you wrote about the Steelers this week. Obviously, they're at a, a crossroads. They have the infrastructure. Tomlin is one of the best coaches in football. Kevin Colbert is, at worst, a top three GM in my book. Um, they do what at the quarterback position? We had Ryan Chaser on the podcast yesterday and asked him about that. And he said, well, there's what they should do. And then there's the Steeler way. Right. Um, those are two very different things. I think the listener will know what that means. They should go out and try to get an Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, yeah. that, that grade of quarterback. Um, but they're probably going to tr- promote from within. Uh, where do you see this going? I agree with I agree with that. I think there is that's that's it. They they should, frankly, I feel like they should have gone out and gotten Matt Stafford last year. Like last year was mm. was the off season where I think there was the opportunity um, to actually go and get the player. They I think what happened with Ben was it was okay. Well, let's put this number out there: fifteen million dollars. I mean, there's no way he's going to take this contract. And then Ben was like, okay. <laughs> He's like, I'll, I'll play for that. And I, I think they were like, oh, okay. All right. I guess we're going to do this. We're going to do another year of this. And this is the situation you end up in uh, a draft that's, you know, not robust with top shelf um, quarterback talent to be drafted. You can't necessarily just go out and do the Mac Jones thing and hope that someone's there in the first round who can immediately step in and, and have an impact on your franchise. But there's going to be a feeding frenzy for the couple of quarterbacks. So if Russell Wilson is made available, um, there's going to be a number of teams that are willing to give up, you know, bare minimum three first round picks for Russell Wilson. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson, depending on what happens with the, the grand jury by the end of this month, depending on what happens right. with the civil suits, if that stuff is, is somehow packed away by his legal camp and, and he survives all that, it's going to be an 
absolute bidding war, regardless of the PR circumstances, you're going to see a multitude of teams that are going to throw a lot of assets at, at bring in Deshaun Watson. I don't see Pittsburgh being, even though I think they should, I don't see Pittsburgh being one of those franchises that's going to you know belly up to the table and say, yeah, sure, let's start with three firsts and two seconds and see where that, if, does that get us into the conversation mm-hmm. with some of these? Um, I think it is a promote from within. Um, as you said, it's sort of the Steeler way. Uh, I, I guess the one thing that is interesting to me is every once in a while, you do see Kevin Colbert when he sees value. And I try to bring it up with the draft picks. He's only moved up a couple of times in the first mm-hmm. round of the draft, but it was for significant players. Like he clearly knew this is the value. This is who we're going to get. We know that this is going to work. I wonder if there is a situation with a quarterback where he says there's value here. Let's step out of character the way we did with, let's say, TJ Watt's contract. Hey, we're never going to give you guaranteed money past year one. Uh, Okay, we can relent on that because this is this is a a cornerstone foundational piece. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't think that's the way it's going to go. I think they're going to have to, you know, figure out whether or not Mason Rudolph can be the guy. Dwayne Haskins, is there anything there at all? And adding probably another piece to the mix this offseason just to make it a little more competitive. I, I suspect they'll end up drafting another quarterback. That's, a, that's what I think is going to end up happening, but we haven't gotten into, into that process yet to see who they're kicking tires on. Fascinating. Um, Cowboys, you wrote a couple days ago that they're at the top of the NFC, obviously. Um, do you have them as the favorite? I mean, I, I feel like the Mike McCarthy thing, I think Matt Lefer is a better coach than Mike McCarthy. And I think a year ago you were on this podcast and I actually had asked you a bit about whether or not, and this is when the Cowboys looked real bad, but whether or not McCarthy could even be one and done. And that was around the time that Jerry Jones answered that question by saying, I, w- I want to be in the foxhole next to Mike McCarthy. We, we got that part. Um, but it's gotten a little better this year. Dan Quinn was the upgrade that they needed. Kellen Moore yep. still running a good offense. Um, where do you see the NFC, NFC going in January? I, no, I mean, I think the Packers, to me, you know, I haven't, gotten that number one seed forcing everybody to come through Lambeau um it is a better team I think defensively particularly if they're healthy Bakhtiari comes back it's a team that weirdly enough in January like oh they're making additions you know Jair Alexander is going to be out there David Bakhtiari is going to be out there you're going into the playoffs and they're they're pretty healthy they're a pretty healthy team and the quarterback's playing it there's just all this harmony all of a sudden that's happening um in Green Bay and you know, I, I think that I, I like the Cowboys a lot. I don't like that I'm sitting there staring at them in January and going, why are they imbalanced right now? Like the whole idea was to hit January and be a balanced offense. And now you're not running the football. Um, you know, you're putting a lot on Dak and Dak still doesn't look 100%. Michael Gallup suffers a knee injury. Um, I, defensively, I think they're fantastic. I do. I, I think I know some people don't like defenses that lean so heavily on turnovers. I don't mind it because I think that um, the chaos that Dallas's defense can create consistently, they will continue to turn teams over um, in the postseason. And I, and so I, I think that can be an effective um, defense, but I just, everything's going so right in green Bay right now and so wrong in places like Tampa and, and feels still off in Dallas that if it, it, this feels to me like the green Bay season, in, in, in the NFC. I really, truly believe that. it feels like, and, and I would agree with you that Matt LaFleur should be absolutely in the coach of the year conversation. He surely knows how to use his timeouts a little bit better than Mike McCarthy. Probably pretty <laughs> important in the <laughs> Yeah. Let me, let me clue you into something. If, 
if you have not been paying attention, pretty much the, the totality of Mike McCarthy's career is someone else. You should have a timeout coach, by the way. You know the get back coach? I, I completely have- <laughs> agree. I mean, like, you know, some some franchises do. My, my thing is, like, why can't Sean... The whole thing is Sean McVay wanted to find his Sean McVay on defense, right? He found Brandon Staley. Yeah. Why can't Sean McVay find the Sean McVay of game management? Yeah. Like, why not that? I, I just don't understand it. He These guys, some of these guys just can't make the decision. That doesn't mean they're bad coaches. It just means that's their blind spot. It's fine. Go solve it. Right. You know, if, if Sean McVay, in, hypothetically, couldn't get his run game down, he could go hire a top-notch run game coordinator, and he would feel no ego about that. Yet, with timeouts, with going for it on fourth downs, some of this stuff, like, these guys just have an ego about it. I, 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 I don't know. Do, it, makes, it makes no sense. Okay, so let me ask you this. Do you think can coaches... didn't? Uh, here's the thing. Andy Reid still mismanages games at times, but it does seem like he did get better at that, um, at least in some phase. Are we sure that's not because he got the best quarterback in football? That's the problem. I don't know. Like, I don't, (laughs) you know, I'm like, this guy seems better, but I'm like, maybe it's tied to the fact that he's got the all world quarterback. You know, it's like Cliff. Cliff, I came to the season. I'm like, yeah, I can totally see Cliff getting fired. And then they reel off, you know, the run to start the season. I'm like, oh, no, actually, I guess he's coach of the year. And I'm like, but is he really? Is it like the quarterback? Is it the, it's, you and I are always, I think we're always in that same, um, boat where we're sitting there trying to figure out the chicken egg with the coaches and the quarterbacks and the talent right it all goes together it all goes together like i mean mahomes was helped by andy andy was certainly helped by mahomes fred beach helped them all with some of the talent it's all all goes together um if if green bay gets to the super bowl what do you see happening with rogers I think I think if they take that extra step, I think I mean I, I, they might not even have to get to the Super Bowl to take the step here. The 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 one thing I will say about how we all feel about Green Bay right now that it seems to be going pretty well. Rogers is saying some positive things um, about his relationship with the front office and you know things being listened. Um, tune in to Pat McAfee to see him have right the closest thing to like Joe Biden going on CNBC or like Trump, <laughs> when Trump was going on right. Fox. Like that is. He has found his platform and his megaphone, okay. and this is it. Um, now, that said, they made it to the NFC Championship game and the last couple of seasons, and every single time, you know, both of those instances where they lost, it felt really bad on the other side of it. And there was a lot of Aaron Rodgers, um, people jumping off the Aaron Rodgers bandwagon, saying, change him, this is never going to change, we can't get over the top. If that happens again, if you falter, you can't tell me if they go into the NFC title game um, in Lambeau and you lose a game 42 to 24 or something that there's not going to be a, a backlash about constantly hitting your head on the same ceiling. Now that said, I think if they make it to the, the Super Bowl, um, they've already, they've let it be known that Devonte Adams is going nowhere. That's a big deal. Like to me, that's right. a huge signal to Rogers. That, hey, don't worry. He's, we're not letting him out the door. It's never happening. They've already told Rodgers they're ready to do the contract and structure it in the way that opens up cap space, makes things easier, because they're going to be in some salary cap hell if they don't do that. Um, I think the components are there to, to keep it together. But I also can't ignore that we've, we've seen them in this position before where things look really good, and then all of a sudden they lose the, the, the most important playoff game, you know, the, the last one to get into the Super Bowl. And people are suddenly off it again. So we'll see. I don't, I don't want to count that as being resolved completely until I see what, what happens uh, in, in the 
if they make it to the NFC title. That's probably safe. Saying anything is, resol- is resolved with Rodgers is, is usually, yeah, it's tough. Resolution's not his thing. Um, Charles Robinson, what do you got going on at Yahoo in the next couple of weeks? Well, as you, uh, as you know, I mean, it's the, it's the coaching carousel. We're going to wait and see, yeah. you know, who gets hired, who gets fired. Um, other than that, just hanging on for dear life. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm curious. Um, seeing what has happened, obviously, with COVID, I'm, I'm fascinated to see if it happens surrounding the one most unmovable game, which is the Super Bowl. Everything's ad right. space is sold. The infrastructure's in place. You can't move Super Bowl Sunday to Super Bowl Monday or Tuesday. Um, I want to see what the league office does when we find out who's playing in that Super Bowl. Because I have a sneaking suspicion yeah. that w- maybe we'll find out about it, maybe we won't. But I have a sneaking suspicion that there's going to be a dialogue with the league office where it's like, hey, you know your quarterbacks? Keep them all away from each other. Don't let anybody go near your quarterbacks. You know your left tackle? You know your defensive end? Your marquee wideout? How about you just take all these guys and separate them as much as possible? Um, yeah. I I, I want to see how the league... Uh, approaches the the Super Bowl and and trying to keep these these teams safe because I yeah. the way the season is gone I expect that that it's going to happen at the worst we're going to have the Kirk Cousins well, moment <laughs> in the super, <laughs> for the Super Bowl well the good news is for the NFL is that they won't have to worry about Kirk Cousins playing in that game they, they're all set they're yeah. all, that problem has been has been resolved um is interesting because Philip Rivers I'm sure you remember last summer on the NFLPA conference call had raised the point, like, is there some apparatus in place here where if there's an asymptomatic player who, who tests positive on Wednesday before the Super Bowl, like, what happens? What I mean, I'm, and Rivers was probably asking that because he's a guy who had wanted to go to a Super Bowl in his career and, you know, was just thinking worst-case scenario. And what happens if he, if he tests positive three days before the game? Um, and so it's going to be fascinating to watch. It's going to be fascinating to see the... Um, protocols put in place the changes the rule changes what they allow i mean the cdc guidelines now leave the nfl quite a lot of wiggle room where they could even um you know test on monday and then guys get out of it by friday or saturday or whatever but even then losing a week of of practice on super bowl week can can still be important so it'll be fascinating charles robinson senior writer at yahoo thanks so much buddy thank you for having me you got to come on our podcast, all right? I, you now you have, I'm coming. We have to do, I'm coming. We have to do a home and home. A home and home. A home and home. I'm coming. <laughs> all right. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thank you to Charles for joining us. Thank you to Stefan Anderson for his production help with additional production supervision by Arjuna Ramkapal. Next up on this feed, Nora and Mallory for the Thursday show. I'll be back on Sunday and then obviously next week with the playoff episode. This has been the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network. 